Will, that you? Is it you? It is you. What are you doing here? Oh, yes, but there's no time for that now. The time continuum has been disrupted, creating this new temporal event sequence resulting in this alternate reality. Huh? Imagine this line represents June 2011, the date when you, via Jason, BJ, and myself as co-hosts of the sequel cast to host the show with Sabrina on Cascadia FM. Now, somewhere around this point in time, the timeline skewed into this tangent, creating an alternate reality that we will call June 2011A. What does this all mean? While you were recording the sequel cast in the studio downtown, Jason, BJ, and I, and myself, were stuck in June 2011A with nothing to do, outside of time, waiting for you to return. When you do return, it will be as if the sequel cast had never changed. You must come with me back in the DeLorean and drive back to the alternate, original point of June 2011A in the timeline to continue your sequel cast with BJ, Jason, and myself, your show that reviews movies. Movies in a franchise, one at a time. Precisely. What if I don't want an alternate reality? What if I... Oh, I'm afraid your are being sealed. Fans are clamoring for the group together. Are you with me? It's a podcast called The Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's The Sequel Cast. It's The Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that reviews movies in a franchise one at a time. Uh, I'm your host, Matt. With me is uh, Will. Howdy, everybody. I'm the man of the hour. The Tower of Power. Too sweet to be sour. Now, uh, if you've listened to the Sequel Cast recently, you might wonder why the host change and... um, I'm not getting into the details of that on the show, but... That's going to be unauthorized sequel cast uh, biography. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's saving up for the sequel cast memoirs called Sequel Past. Um, Lies, money, and murder. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it was something that was uh, amicable. Uh, scheduling had a big part to, to do with it, but uh, I'm glad I can keep the show going on with my uh, old co-host, and I'm sure we'll see BJ and Jason on future episodes. So, uh, originally we were going to do Fletch, but I decided, well, why not do something else? Let's do Back to the Future instead. So this episode, we're covering the uh, first film in the Back to the Future trilogy, uh, simply called Back to the Future, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, and Thomas F. Wilson. Music is by Alan Silvestri. Uh, Spielberg was an executive producer on this. Uh, and let's was, not forget the music by Huey Lewis in the News. Well, yeah, sure. Huey Lewis in the News did uh, some vocal tracks uh, for this movie that were big hits. And um, with a budget of $19 million, uh, had an overall box office of $380 million worldwide. It's a pretty good return on the investment. And uh, so when did you first see Back to the Future, Will? Uh, I probably saw it in either... I saw it on television in either 85 or 86. Unfortunately, I can't remember the precise date. I think I was in first grade, so that probably makes it 86. I'm thinking the first time we must have rented it on videotape, but later my family purchased it in a a weird promotion McDonald's was having going on where you could get certain videotapes for $5 if you got a cheeseburger value meal. And so we got Back to the Future as one of the videotapes. And, um... It, for some reason, my dad was really familiar with the first one. I don't think he ever saw any of the sequels. <laughs> he missed out. Uh, yeah, that's something we'll get into in later episodes. I mean, it, it's certainly one of those trilogies where they certainly try to shoot for something different each time. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'll, I'll get into this more when we get into the into the later films. But it, these this trilogy 
in a way, every movie gives us the same movie, but yes. bigger and with a different hat on. It's almost like it's rebooting itself in each movie, even though it builds so, upon the plot of the previous one. So is such as time travel. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. Especially in the second one, move. Uh, so, but in the original Back to the Future, um, you know, what I picked up recently the Blu-ray set of the trilogy, and on there they did some new documentaries, and they show footage, sadly no audio, of uh, originally Michael J. Fox was not supposed to be Marty McFly. They had cast Eric Stoltz. And, yeah, I've um, seen the original trailer with Eric Stoltz. Yeah, and uh, uh, on the Blu-ray, uh, and also on the recent DVD release, I guess it's the 30th anniversary or something. 35th, maybe, I think. That's probably right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, on that release, they have uh, footage of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly, but they have no audio, and there's like 10 seconds worth of footage, but everyone well, online true. was going crazy over it. <laughs> and uh, But they almost had like half the film shot, and then they sort of took a step back and said, you know, his uh, Eric Stoltz is a great actor and all this stuff, but um, he's just not really working with the vibe. And so Michael J. Fox had to do Back to the Future and film episodes of Family Ties simultaneously. Pretty much. A fa- family t- for, the, for those of you listening, a Family Tides is what we used to call a scripted sitcom back in the 80s. Yes, and uh, Family Tides was about a Republican family, I think that's fair to say. No, no, it was about, it was about uh, liberal parents with conservative kids. You're right. Okay, liberal parents, conservative kids. Michael J. Fox was, uh, had a tie, played the character Alex. And uh, I don't think I've ever seen a complete episode. It was one of those. I was too young when the show came out to sort of appreciate it. And the the only episode I remember seeing completely is the drug episode. Is that the episode where the Michael J. Fox character takes a lot of drugs and then he starts uh, having spasms everywhere? Well, he's been he's been. Uh, if I remember the plot of that episode correctly, he's he's been taking like pet pills. He's been taking like pet pills and okay. wake up pills so he can study and work harder. And it's kind of it's burning him out. And so his parents uh, have to use their hippie knowledge to kind of to bring him back to reality. Every sitcom in the '80s seemed to have a drug episode. Yeah, although I'm gonna say theirs had a very uh, original take on it. Hmm. Although that has almost nothing to do (laughs) with uh, Back to the Future. No, I mean, uh, but oh, the Michael J. Fox was reportedly a pretty uh, party hard kind of guy for quite a while in his uh, early acting career, as from what the stories say. So, um, regardless of all that, you know, it's, it's a very difficult film to categorize. Is it a romance? Is it a comedy? Is it science fiction? Is it an uh, action always, film? Is I would always put it as a, as, a, as a kind-hearted science fiction comedy. It has a lot of heart. You're right in that, Thrasher. Absolutely. Or Will. Uh, you're definitely right with that. Um, I do want to point out on, uh, we have a website, sequelcast.com, uh, the best way to get in contact with us on Twitter, I'm uh, at SequelCast. Or if you go on Facebook, look up SequelCast. We have a lot of really great fan interaction. I was chatting with uh, one of our fans, Kent, from Norway uh, through Facebook this morning. Oh, nice. And that was a lot of fun. He seemed pretty excited about about that. And, uh, you know, currently the iTunes feed for SequelCast is down, and I'm trying to get it back up. And uh, there's a story about that, but I'm not going to get into it. So... Well, once again, the website still works. Uh, money, lies, and murder. Well, speaking of money, uh, if you don't mind, if I can give you a second, uh, on SequelCast, you know, I'm trying to monetize it somewhat just because it costs me money, not a lot of money, but to host it through uh, Libsyn.com. And uh, I want to break even on that and maybe make some money for all the hosts of the show or through partners or whatever. So we have a donate PayPal button on the website where you can donate to us. And um, beyond that, there's also a SequelCast has become an Amazon.com affiliate. So on the site, i got to work on the layout a bit better, but you go to any of the movies we've talked about, it has a link to where you can buy it on Amazon, on DVD, or Blu-ray. And we get a percentage of that uh, if you choose to purchase something. And it doesn't even matter if it's one of those DVDs. You can click on the link and then purchase, I don't know, Cheeto from Amazon, and we get a small cut of that. So, um, if you like the show and want to give back some way, those are some great ways to do it. So, uh, so back to back to the future. back to back to the future. Um, yeah, I mean, this the big reason why this movie works is I think everyone has wondered, I guess, unless they're orphans, what were their parents like when they were teenagers? <laughs> 
No, no, they probably still wonder that. Uh, sure. And, and, unless somehow their their parents died before they became teenagers. And I guess before we start into the plot, uh, let's back up and talk about characters a bit. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because this is nothing with the format where I started it on Cascadia FM trying to start out with the characters proper. Because the more we've talked about sequels in the show, the more I realize a good movie isn't even necessarily about the plot. It's almost more about the characters or the actors doing such a good job or bad and job. Back right? to the Future has some great characters. Oh, it does. And uh, Michael J. Fox is obviously great. You know, it's been... And they recently came out with a computer game that we'll talk about in the Back to the Future 3 episode where they have a really fantastic sound alike for Marty McFly. Um, but he has kind of like, you know, the cracked voice, and he was not a teenager at the time they were making this film. Well, very rarely is that the case, at least back in those days. But I think he pulls it off better than most. He had a baby face, right, you could say? Oh, yeah, well, my, Michael J. Fox, like, up until, like, ten years ago, Michael J. Fox always looked very, very youthful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Back to the Future was a, he was a pretty young actor to have a franchise, especially at that time. You didn't really have that many comic book movies in 85. You didn't have any comic book <laughs> Yeah, movies. not really, not any good you, ones. You had uh, Superman, The Quest for Peace, which is best forgotten. Uh, a friend of my, uh, my aunt's, one of my aunts is friends with the writer of Superman, uh, Quest for Peace. Hmm. But he also did rewrite jobs on the Tim Burton, Planet of the Apes, and uh, Mighty Joe Young. I should try getting him on the show, but that's not related to Back to the Future. Very, very true. <laughs> we, we brought the classic tangents back. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Okay. All right, so, so Michael J. Fox plays, uh, plays all-American teenager Marty McFly. And he's good. You know, what he has to do in this movie is uh, less heavy lifting than he has to do in the other ones. But he does a good job of seeing panicked, and he's the uh, sort of the key character where the audience, in a sense, is Michael J. Fox. They don't know what the hell is going on when he goes in the past. They don't know what the hell is going on for most of the movie. But he's the entry-level character through which, uh, to use the Wizard of Oz metaphor, you know, he's the Dorothy. And everyone else are these all crazy characters that all change. He is our avatar within the film. Uh, yeah, we'll put. He's, uh, he's blue and, um, sticks his tail in things to have sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other great character is, of course, uh, <laughs> is, of course, Christopher Lloyd as, as Doc uh, as Doc, as yeah. Emmett Brown. And, you know, I mean, before this, uh, people might have known him best for, he had a long-running role on the classic sitcom Taxi that ran mm. for a few years, um... Oh, he was also John Big Boutet in Buckaroo Banzai, Across the Eighth Dimension. Yes, and in, uh, had a bit part in a One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest mm. as one of the inmates in there. So, um, you know, like it's it's really great to see an older actor really take off when he's older in age. Because uh, this is a really... Had another actor been in the part of Doc Brown... It could have come off as, like, awful, and even though Christopher Lloyd is extremely over-the-top in the part, he somehow pulls it off with uh, the warmth. You really feel the character cares about Marty McFly. Well, he plays a great, really human, wild-eyed scientist. Although, you know, supposedly uh, Jonathan Lithgow was originally considered for that part. Oh, they mentioned that on the documentary on the DVD, you're right. And, I'm just uh, mentioning that. Yeah. Marty, we have to get you back in time! <laughs> uh, you know, I think John Lithgow would have been good, too. Um, of course, my favorite, I always like to imagine what Tim Curry would have been like <laughs> in any movie. But him as Doc Brown, I think it would have come off as pervy. <laughs> Marty McFly, you've got to go in my DeLorean. We're going to take you for a ride on the slab. I mean, call. Marty. If we just have 1.21 gigawatts! Beep, beep. Yeah. So. Shush the electric transducer! <laughs> oh, maybe that would have worked too. I don't know. You know, it's so. You don't see any mad scientist in movies, period. But, oh, I mean, this is a juicy mad scientist part that spreads across a trilogy of films. So. Yeah. Um, one actor I think that's really underrated in general, but he's quite good, um, sadly, only in this first film, is Crispin Glover as uh, the dad. Oh, yeah. He, Crispin Glover is such a weird cult actor, even though he's been in, other than Back to the Future, the most mainstream stuff he was in was in Charlie's Angels 1 and 2, 
and he was in Friday the 13th, Part 4, the final chapter. He's one of the teenagers in that one. Um, he comes off always as a weird, intense dude, and on his own time, he produces and directs uh, independent movies um, that are very avant-garde, from what I understand. And he tours around the country and gives like a two-hour lecture on uh, the weird nature of the, the personal movies that he makes with his uh, from doing the big blockbuster stuff. So do you like Crispin Glover, uh, Will? You know, I I do. I I wish I could see. I wish I seen could see him more. I think the the only thing uh, I can remember seeing him in recently is Hot Tub Time Machine, which I did enjoy. Yes. Although no, that's looking good. A, looking around, I see that he was also in. Uh, he was also in uh, the new Wizard of Gore, which sadly I have not seen yet. But he is was also in. Oh, what's eating Gilbert? Great. Oh, and the People versus Larry Flint. Great movie. I'm sorry. And the, is the new Wizard of Gore? Is that a remake of the original? Is it another thing in that franchise? Uh, it's. It's. Uh, I've actually read about it in uh, Rue Morgue and a couple of other horror movie magazines. Yeah. It's. It kind of uses the title, but it is its own movie. I see. Cool. Um, so they, they take everything to new extremes. But no, he's really good, and you know, Crispin Glover isn't in any of the sequels, and uh, there's a lawsuit because of that that we'll get into when we talk about the second film. Oh, yeah. But, um, Leah Thompson, you know, she was in Howard the Duck, if I'm not mistaken, plays mm-hmm. the mother, and um, she has a pretty big part in uh, the first two sequels, at least. And she's good. I think she's cute. You know, um, whenever they do the old age makeup for the present day people... It always looks worse on women than on men, and I'm not sure why that is. But uh, when this Back to the Future came out, of course, this was way before Eddie Murphy did all the um, characters with the makeup and like coming to America or his uh, remake of the Nutty Professor. I guess he called that more of a reboot. Yeah, but it was a remake. It was a remake. Yeah, okay, right. It's not but a reboot. The point is, in all those Eddie Murphy movies, all the characters with the makeup had really puffy cheeks. You can kind of tell where they put the air sacs below the cheeks. But in this one, it seems to be just, like, pure prosthetics, and I'm sure there's, um, you know, like, wax pieces or whatever the material is they put to puff out the cheeks. It's almost like just kind of putting a layer of glue on your face to give it some... That's some probably They probably used glue to stick the stuff on back then, honestly, yeah. Although now that you mention that, now I'm imagining the McFly family as characters in a fat suit comedy. <laughs> he has you to travel back in time to get his family to lose weight. You know, you kind of have Michael J. Fox to all the different family members in part two. Uh, but, yeah, they're not in fat suits. And um, the old age makeup is okay. I mean, one one thing about... I enjoy the Blu-ray format, but one thing about stuff being in such high definition, especially if you watch it on a nice TV, is it kind of... Stuff is so crisp, you can pick out the flaws more, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, uh, and last but not least of the main cast members... Thomas F. Wilson as Biff, oh, uh, yeah. who I wish would be in more stuff. He had sort of a recurring role on Freaks and Geeks, a uh, much-loved TV show that only went for one season in the late 90s. Um, he played the part of Maniac in the uh, Wing Commander 3 through 5. Oh, uh, with Mark Hamill. I, I love those video games. Those are great. Uh, yeah, with Mark Hamill, right. And uh, Biff is such an iconic bad guy. He's a guy you love to hate, and yet he does different spins on each incarnation of Biff. You know, yeah, he really no, he really gets into the into the character in in every incarnation. Yeah, it's a, he's really putting a lot of effort into it. It's a real pleasure to uh, watch him uh, watch him work. Seems like he's having a lot of fun in these movies. And um, you know, I was trying to follow up on what he's been doing recently. He's been in some made through TV stuff, but uh, in his personal life, he's a he's a Christian, I believe, or I'm not mm-hmm. sure what's particular denomination of that. But he's released... Um, I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now. I should do some research. Yes, I you should. He's, I believe he's released like a CD of him singing Christian songs. But he also does like paintings that he sells through his website. I know that for a fact. Cool. Uh, so it's always interesting to see what these actors do in, uh, in modern times. Um, I believe he even toured around... Uh, that's my wife yelling at the dog in the background. So we, got, we have a puppy... Because uh, the dog we had a year ago died, uh, hit by a car. So, I'm glad you saved this for the midpoint of the episode and not the beginning. Yes. <laughs> Sequel cast. 
with more puppy fatalities than any other podcast. <laughs> yip, yip. Okay. The puppy did. Uh... So, uh, back to Back to the Future. We've talked about the characters. Let's move into the plot. I think this is a movie everyone has seen. I don't think we need to summarize the plot at the beginning. But, um... But, yeah, well, I, I think modern, modern viewer... Oh, sorry? I was just going to say, you know, Marty's family is real. They're, they're, they're kind of, you know, Sad. fucked up. Everyone in his yeah. family has, a, has real deep character flaws. He has an uncle yeah. that's in prison. I thought it was a brother that's in prison. Is it his uncle? Uh, no, that is his uncle. Okay, I'm sorry. His uncle's in prison. His dad is really just, like, depressed. Looks like he wants to constantly shoot himself, George McFly. And probably would have if the timeline had remained intact. Okay, Marty, I'm going to stick the gun in my mouth. You'll pull the trigger for dear old daddy. Okay. <laughs> i got to go back in time to save my dad from killing himself five minutes ago. Oh, that, that way leads to falling. <laughs> I think if David Lynch did a Back to the Future, that's what the plot would be. Just constantly going five minutes back in time <laughs> to prevent the same suicide. You know, there's and an ep- it, there's an episode of the Clerks uh, animated series where the second episode of the show is a flashback episode. Yeah, it's a clip show to the first <laughs> episode, the first episode. episodes they didn't make, and the second episode. <laughs> It's very bizarre, and even if you're annoyed by Kevin Smith, uh, you might still enjoy the Clerks animated series, I think. <laughs> if only because it doesn't have much Kevin Smith in it. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, but you know what movie has no Kevin Smith in it? Back to the Back Future. Back to the Future, yeah. Um, yeah, so his family's kind of fucked up. Uh, uh, Marty has a girlfriend, uh, but he yeah. also has... His best friend is Doc Brown, the crazy scientist, who, uh, who wants Marty to visit him in a shopping mall parking lot in the middle of the night so we can videotape an experiment. That sounds like an invitation to get raped to me, but I don't know. Well, no, I'm not if it's a scientist you trust. <laughs> he uses the uh, the appliances with the uh, soft, squishy edges, not the hard, sharp edges. No, no, you want to, you want to do something silicon-based. You want, like, feel-so-real, that kind of thing. I see. Feel-so-real. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they sell Doc Brown dildos at any of the sex toy shops. But uh, oh, if, no. if if they did, it'd be related to Back to the Future. So, okay, okay here, here here's uh, here's uh, here's the thing. It, it can vibrate up to a speed of one point twenty one gigacocks. How about that? There you go. That's now, that, now that we're talking about Back to the Future sex aids for some reason. <laughs> so uh, it's good to have you back, Will. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> so uh, from sex aids to plot aids, uh, that, that's an awful. Segway. I'll pretend yeah, I did not say that. A, a terrible, uh, no, no, Battlefield Earth had plot aids. Yeah, no, you're, you're right about that. So, I mean, the begin- if, for a modern viewer, for a movie that's around two hours, I think it's almost 30 minutes or so before he goes into the past. You know, like, movies used to have spend real time setting up the plot, setting up characters and all these things. Oh, and that's so, something that's so great yeah. about Back to the Future, is that they, like, lay everything in. There's... They mentioned a clock tower. Well, that's coming back. No, I mean, this is really a script where it's like uh, the game Jenga, where you're stacking wooden blocks and uh, trying to remove them piece by piece and not letting the whole thing fall. So much stuff references to each other that the Mm -hmm. more you watch the movie, the more you can appreciate, like, oh, this happened in this time. Oh, this guy was 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 the waiter, and now he's the mayor in present day, or... Oh yeah, and like you, you can you can really really tell that Zemeckis and Gale took their time and really crafted this screenplay. Yeah, no, it was definitely worked over several times. In fact, in an early draft of Back to the Future, this is a factoid uh, we mentioned in back in the uh, Bill and Ted uh, episode, one of those. <laughs> that instead of the DeLorean, they had a uh, Marty McFly go into a refrigerator and close <laughs> yeah. the door and go back in time, and, that, and that's a fact. I'm not bullshitting. And I know, reason, but I just, I love that image. Isn't it strange? And the reason they took it out, uh, sensibly, I think, is because they thought little kids would watch the movie and try to go home and crawl and shut themselves in the refrigerator <laughs> to go back in time. So, and then, and we should speak about the DeLorean for a moment, because that's a car that was produced in pretty limited quantity. And, um, you know, on, on the latest Blu-ray and DVD release from the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future... They mention how 
uh, a dedicated fan uh, remodeled his DeLorean to look just like the interior of the one from the movie. Oh, and it was yeah. so impressive, they had him drive out to Los Angeles to show it to the director, Bob Zemeckis, and like one of the, the uh, cinematographer of the film, Dean Cundley, and all these things. And they show what that looks like on the uh, new uh, DVD release and Blu-ray. Um, so I think that's kind of neat. I mean, like I always wanted a DeLorean as a kid, because from seeing it from oh, this movie. Oh, no, so did I. And actually, and I was so into this movie, I had this like red sports car thing. It was just like, it was like this red sports car, you know, a nice, you know, deep, not like matchbox size, but like big enough that it had some heft. That it, you could run along the ground, it would rev up and take off. And I took, I took a bunch of Legos and using Legos, I like mounted the Legos onto the back of the car and remodeled it to look as close to the DeLorean as possible. So we were you using like a super glue or something? Actually, no. I used uh, tape. I just I just oh, looped okay. uh, tape. But it had it had the cooling vents. It had the Mister Fusion. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> I wedged a yellow brick between the seats to make a flux capacitor. And you know, I mean, speaking of the when this movie was released in '85, although I was born in '82, so I really shouldn't be talking. Some stuff in this movie comes off as kind of dated, but that's inevitable, especially in a time travel movie where they're trying to set up so much stuff in the present and the past. For instance, when Marty McFly goes back in time into a diner, he says, can I have a Pepsi free? And they say, no, pal, you got to pay for it. At the time when this movie came out, Pepsi free was, um, what, I think like a low-calorie version of Pepsi? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was like, I guess, to compete with New Coke. Right, you're right, yeah. So... I mean, like, watching that now, I never got that as a kid. I still don't get that now. But Well, you know, like, looking at it, like, from beginning to end, I see Back to the Future as a period piece. The first period is the early 80s. The second <laughs> period is the early 50s. Sure. I mean, you have uh, Michael J. Fox on a skateboard. This must have been one of the earlier movies where characters were on skateboards all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Ninja Turtles, the comic book, I think, was around this time, if not maybe a little bit before. But you have the whole sort of California surfer dude, skateboarding, surfboard culture kind of showing through a little bit in this movie. And that with Ninja Turtles, of course, which we talked about uh, earlier on the sequel cast. You can check those out at sequelcast.com and click on the Ninja Turtles link on the sidebar. Um is one of those things that later permeated culture all the time. Like, when I was in elementary school, everyone wanted a skateboard, or they had one, and they took it, to, rode it to school, instead of walking to school. I used my bike. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, they have bicycles, too. Those were around in the 80s. <laughs> but, but the bicycle had been invented in 1972. I see, okay. Anything you see before then was a dream. Explains why I have hallucinations in black and white. <laughs> so, back to Back to the Future. Uh, yeah, so so Marty, they they use the time machine to send to they test out the time machine. Then Marty sees Doc Brown gunned down by the terrorists who supplied him with plutonium to make an atomic bomb. And Marty Indian flees. Terrorist, yeah, yeah. And Marty and flees. Marty flees in the time machine, which. Uh, the doc has preset to take him to 1985, and wouldn't you know it, that's where he ends up, crashed into a barn in 1985, leading to a hilarious gag where the the farmers think that it's a crashed uh, spaceship. And he says he's like Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. Well, that's much later, though. That's true, but, um, you know, that would have been an example of an early movie that had a Star Wars reference. And now, uh, although I love Star Wars and I would love to do a more detailed look at the films at some point in the future on the sequel cast, uh, it's one of those things where it's referenced all the damn time. But mm, yeah. at the time, that must have seemed like a, a, a clever and witty reference to make, I would think. Um, so when he goes back in time, you know, he sees his dad, not surprisingly, is, is a really shy geek. Uh, Biff, who in the present day really bullied his father for money on the side and all this stuff. Is, still uh, bullies his father. Still bullies his father. <laughs> and uh, the, the genius device this movie uses is that of the photograph he has of his family. And the more he fails to... Uh, is, it, is it the less he well, interferes with what happens? Or? Well, what it, well okay. what it is is that he, we learn early in the film that the reason his parents started dating and got married was that um, his, his mother hit his father with a car. 
and it like felt sorry for him, and that's kind of how their relationship started, but that's also kind of like set the tone for their relationship. So when Marty's in the past, he accidentally pushes well he 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 sees someone about to be hit by a car. It turns out to be his father. He pushes his father out of the way. So he's the one that gets hit. So he's the one that his mother falls in love with. Yep. And so yep. that, at that moment, he's disrupted the timeline. So he has to find a way to get his parents in, together and in love so that he and his brother and sister will eventually be born. There's also the issue of a time paradox that could destroy the universe. Because if Marty can't get them back together when he's never born, he then he can't exist. travel back in time to push his father out of the way and <laughs> thus cause the disruption to begin with. But I, I like, in uh, in this first movie at least, they communicate that thing, um, not with so much scientific techno babble, but visually with uh, a photograph of his family where the family members gradually start disappearing the more Marty fucks up. And Marty himself, uh, parts of him start disappearing. He can see through his hand. He becomes more like an apparition, a ghost, if you will. Yeah. Although one, one thing I do notice when you look at that photo, the more and more people vanish, the more you've got to wonder, in what timeline was somebody just taking a photograph of the side of a house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh... Sometimes if you think too much, it can, it can ruin movies. But... Um... But this is the kind of movie with time travel where you can talk about all these what-ifs. And I really would... Uh, I know they did a few Back to the Future comic books based off the cartoon, and the cartoon we'll get into a little bit in the Back to the Future 3 episode. Um, but what if they would have a series of comics of Back, of back to the Future what-ifs along the lines of the old Marvel comics? Where, that would be pretty fun. Yeah, I, I think because of time travel. And, you know, Marvel used to do these what-if comics, whereas what-if... Conan the Barbarian fought Wolverine, or uh, what if Spider-Man was part of the Fantastic Four, or whatever. What if a gamma bomb was used in World War II and spawned a thousand hulks? Yes, and uh, I really like those kind of comics, A, because you can read an issue and kind of be done with the story and not have to make a huge financial investment, but B, it kind of, uh, on a comic book page, you can draw whatever you want. And well, also, some... you can tell a good standalone story yes, and right. continuity be damned. Exactly. And that helps free uh, comic books from a lot of baggage they tend to have. Where if I was to walk in the store and pick up, uh, um, I don't know, Ultimate Spider-Man number 306, I wouldn't know what the hell was happening, other than Spider-Man is probably fighting some mutated dude. Yeah, there aren't too many good entry points for the the long-running comics anymore. Although DC rebooted their stuff recently, right, with all the... That doesn't give it a good entry point. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, we'll to, talk about that later. Back, back to Back to the Future. Um, I don't know. Why go back on topic. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the Huey Lewis in the News uh, numbers in this movie? You well, have, you know, you have Power of Love, which you've seen me perform at karaoke several times in Savannah, oh, Georgia, yeah. and uh, that's the Power of Love. Ah, and ah. Uh, the other one is Back in Time, which plays over the end credits. Right? Are those yes. the two ones. Did you do another song for this film? Uh, no, I believe those were the only two. Okay. And uh, Back in Time was later used as a theme song for the uh, cartoon. I believe. But, well, you know, um, in in the 90s, yeah. I actually felt that the Huey Lewis music really, really dated the movie and was almost a little bit embarrassing, mm-hmm. just you know, given Huey Lewis's career. But now that I'm older and view the whole film as a period piece... It make it makes perfect sense and makes the movie that much richer because it just enforces the period of the 1980s. Did you know that uh, Huey Lewis has a cameo in this movie? Yeah, he's the uh, he's a teacher at the beginning. Yeah, he has these thick glasses on. He's not as recognizable. And um, uh, Huey Lewis was in a, a movie released in the early uh, 2000s, I guess. The odds, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, called Duet. Uh, yeah called uh, Duets, where he's with Gwyneth Paltrow and their people going across the country doing karaoke competitions. Um, sort of a fun little movie, I guess. But uh, Back to the Future is a fun movie as well. So, there's oh, so... Well, when Marty realizes that he's fucked up the timeline, he manages to find Doc Brown, who is uh, understandably shocked Yes, to find a person that knows almost everything about him including his basic schematic for the circuit that makes time travel possible. 
That's right. You know, it's a fun, uh, a fine line Marty walks when he's talking to people because he's like, well, how much information is too much? And, you know, you know, there's lines of dialogue like, uh, well, you know, hey, Ronald Reagan's got to be president. And they're like, oh, yeah, oh he's just Ralph an actor. Laughs that off. Yeah. In the 1950s, the notion that Ronald Reagan would ever be president of the United States would be laughable and preposterous. But a lot happened in the, the intervening 30 years. Uh, and, of course, it leads to this great rant where Doc is just like, Oh, and who's Secretary of the Interior, Jerry Lewis? And just starts naming all these <laughs> old-fashioned film stars. Yeah. I love that. I love old, I love old Hollywood. No, that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. And yet, while the movie has a lot of references, it's not so on the nose about the references. In, um, in some modern movies, particularly in the modern uh, parody movies like Epic Movie or whatever... Those aren't parodies. Uh, okay, well... Those are trailers edited together into feature length. Whatever you call them, you know, they have scenes where a character will make a joke and there was a pause, uh, presumably, for the audience to laugh. And then afterwards, they have to explain to the audience, that's a line from Back to the Future, guys, or that's from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, any references in this movie seem very, very natural. Like yep. like when you mentioned the whole the Darth Vader reference, there's a, a scene where, where Marty has to kind of decide it's best to... He tries reasoning with his father to get him to ask Lorraine out, and then realizes the best thing to do would be to terrify his father into <laughs> asking Lorraine out. So Marty puts on a full-body radiation suit and somehow sneaks into his father's bedroom and hooks up a sound system to his father so he can torture him with heavy metal, and, and calling himself Darth Vader to convince him to take Lorraine out to like preserve some galactic thing. Um... But yeah, he calls himself Darth Vader. But that kind of makes sense. Like, if, if I was a teenager who traveled back in time and was right. desperately trying to terrorize my father into dating my mother, I would probably call myself Darth Vader. Uh, or possibly the master from Doctor Who. You could. You could. Uh, and also, when this came out, 85, that was after all three of the original trilogy of Star Wars was released. Oh, yeah. So, um, someone called those the only trilogy, but it's a <laughs> completely separate topic. Uh, it's interesting when you see this movie. Do you think um, it certainly has some? What do you say? It's pervy stuff or edible stuff between Marty McFly well, and his mother. Well, there there is there is edible stuff, but it's only on the side of his mother because like Marty, because you know his mother does fall in love with him, but Marty Marty knows that's his mother and is very disturbed by the whole notion and only has to play along just uh, long enough so that he can get his real father involved. And it's but great it does, in that his mother isn't disturbed by it, but she's just like, oh, there's this really cute boy, and she plays it pretty straight, but like pretty excited and sexually charged. Oh, yeah. But what I really love... Well, you know, you know what? Maybe in Marty she sees the, the characteristics that will eventually attract her to the father. Right. <laughs> But I oh, that, actually, that's one of my favorite gags because when Marty is hit by the car and he wakes up in Lorraine's house, and they they they, they everyone decides that his name must be Calvin Klein because that's what's written on his underwear, <laughs> and that's yeah. his name throughout the rest of the movie. Therefore, it was Calvin Klein because why? Why else? Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I would use my pen, very careful penmanship to very meticulously write uh, <laughs> my name around the waistband of my underwear. That's, uh... Yeah, that's true. You know, at least he didn't have, like, you know, uh... Spider-Man under ruse on. Well, he was a teenager. That would have been silly. Well, you never know. There's always some people. Well, yeah, regrettably. I like to pretend their uh, favorite superheroes or cartoon stars are hugged against their privates. See, I just have a cod piece that says, Hello, my name is William Tolliver Thrasher. Have a nice day. Tolliver? That's oh, that name? is my middle name, yes. That's what the T in Big T stands for. I see. Yep. I know that. You learn something new every day. The name's got some history behind it, but uh, we're talking about the history of Marty McFly, not the history of Thrashing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, but speak, speaking of laying stuff in, because there's a whole thing where where the where Hill Valley, the town where this takes place, its clock tower got struck by lightning, and they're always trying to raise money to repair it. And the time machine needs a power surge of 1.21 uh, uh, gigawatts, although it is properly pronounced gigawatts, mm -hmm. um, in order to travel through time. 
But, of course, the time machine was only loaded with enough plutonium for one jump back in time. So Marty needs, uh, and as just happens, it turns out, a direct lightning strike generates that kind of power surge. So there's this great countdown. There's a, it, it adds some urgency to an already urgent story that not only does it set a deadline for when Marty has to get the timeline fixed, it also gives him a deadline for when he's when he has to make an attempt to get back to his present because they've got to get the DeLorean struck by lightning at just the right time. And it's just this it's this great and it doesn't come off as contrived, really. It, it flows so naturally through the narrative. It builds up as suspense. And uh, I think more importantly, you have a lot of uh, the sequence of uh, Doc Brown has to sort of climb the clock tower and kind of crawl around it to uh, link up these electrical wires uh, to get the lightning bolt to hit. Yeah, it's got to channel the lightning bolt from the clock tower to this thing set up between some lampposts. And I realize, I I like that that no one really questions why Doc Brown is wiring up the clock tower. But it's, it's, it's nice that he's clumsy as he's trying to wire up the clock tower and the stuff gets unplugged and he has to replug it. You know, it's not like he's Superman and gets it all in one go, you know. So, it's kind of a nice... Well, the the other thing I like is that in the the presence, it's still, oh, the clock tower was struck by lightning and now it's broken. It's never... Some scientist was fucking around with the clock tower (laughs) broke. Yeah, and the clock tower is sort of a central thing in all three movies. Um, Oh, yeah. So, even if it's not always a clock tower as such... It is symbolic of time. Yep. <laughs> Very much so. Oh, yeah. And my uh, puppy, Starbuck, is in the podcast studio. So, Is it uh, original Starbuck or new Starbuck? Uh, it's named after the new Starbuck. Because mm. it's uh, colored blonde and is uh, full of spunk. Oh. Uh, well, I didn't mean it that way, but it could mean that. Uh, no, yes, you did. <laughs> so. Oh, actually, though, you were talking about references to things... Um, at the time, the film did uh, catch a little bit of flack because there's a, a bit where there's musicians playing at the dance where where uh, Marty's parents are gonna are gonna realize how how much of a connection they have, yeah. and one of the one of the players gets injured, so M- Marty has to fill in on guitar, and he plays Johnny Be Good. And one of the musicians calls a relative in the recording industry, and it about oh do you, this is this new sound you got to hear. And a, a lot there was a it, the movie did take a little bit of flack when it was released because they felt like the movie said that a time traveling white boy invented the rock and roll sound that came out of uh, that came out of uh, that came out of like blues and Motown. Well, and yet there's a precedent in history of both. Uh rap and and blues and rock and roll of white artists covering songs originally done by black artists and becoming popular simply because it's a white man performing it. Yeah, no, no, Elvis uh, was involved in some of that. Right, and uh, Eminem to some extent. <laughs> as far as the genre goes and uh Well, I guess you know what that is one of, that is always one of the weird things with like that is one of the weird things with time travel movies and with movies where there's any kind of weird ancient conspiracy is that there's always that temptation to put in a joke where the time traveler invents something in place of someone else. Well, I mean, like, Witness Forrest Gump by the same director as Back to the Future, Bob Zemeckis. It's full well, of that stuff. We have because because in a way it kind of cheapens the human achieve a human achievement. You know, if, if if you have an episode of Doctor Who where Doctor Who gave the theory of relativity to Einstein, well, that just cheapens Einstein. Yeah, you know, right. you, you can't you you have to leave you you, know, you have to leave the human achievement intact. And in, in a way, I think that scene does. Um, like like it, 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 Marty doesn't 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 invent rock and roll. So maybe, maybe he catalyzes something, but. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what. I, this tangent's gone off in a weird direction. Uh, all, all I know is you can't. It, it you you don't want your time travel movie to cheapen the history that it's taking place. No, you don't. And uh, we should start uh, heading towards wrapping this up. Oh yeah. Uh, Got the wrapping time. Right. 
So, I mean, I think... And the way this movie ends uh, sets it up for a sequel, but it was never meant to. That uh, ending scene was supposed to be just a joke. Oh, yeah, because Marty, Marty returns to his, you know, they, he gets his parents together. Biff, uh, his father punches out Biff. Uh, the, the lightning hits the DeLorean. He returns to the present. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Doc is alive. He wore a bulletproof vest because he read Marty's note about the terrorists. And then... Uh, you know, Marty's, Marty's family's in great shape. His father is a science fiction author uh, and wrote a book about the Darth Vader monster that Marty dressed up as. I thought it was a nice <laughs> touch if you look at the cover of the book. I never but then, um, But yeah, but then like he's hanging out with his girlfriend Jennifer and then Doc shows up in the time machine. Marty, your kids! We gotta do something about your kids! And the time machine's been upgraded. It has a built-in Fusion power plant, the Mister yeah. Fusion power plant, which you can run off any inert matter. So he starts dumping trash, <laughs> and and you know then the, 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 the it's just an awesome scene because the DeLorean converts to a hover car and whips through the air, and they travel through time to, to be continued. But yeah, it's like it's a it's not like they're trying to set up a sequel. It's a joke. Well, and it one is a joke that is perfect for the time because the eighties is where so many will-not-die film franchises come from. It was a sequel-mad era. Sure. And uh, one thing I think that's uh, a bit of trivia that'll lead into us talking about the second film next week, uh, Back to the Future 2, is the biggest regret uh, writers of this film, uh, Robert Zemeckis and uh, Bob Gale have, is that when the car zooms off into the future at the end, that uh, Marty's girlfriend is in the car. Because they felt the girlfriend character was dead weight, and they could have been free to go anywhere they wanted to, if they didn't have a girlfriend character to drag around. Well, you know, I, in many ways, I kind of like because because Back to the Future Two begins with with a reshoot of that scene from the end of Back to the Future. Yeah, I don't see why they couldn't have just when they did the reshoot not let her get on the, get on the vehicle. You're right. I mean, maybe they thought, oh, that would have been a cheat. We ended the other one this way. We could have... Uh... I would have forgiven him. I think so. Oh. I mean, that the character doesn't have much of a function in the second film. Oh, you know what? In Back to the... Okay. Uh, in Back to the Future, I always stopped watching the moment the DeLorean flew into the camera and traveled through time at the end. I always stopped the tape before the to-be-continued showed up. When so I didn't know that was there for years. Wow. I, like, denied its existence. I mean, with the original Back to the Future, when it was in theaters, it did not have that to be continued, but they added that to the videotape release. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was one of those things that came out on videotape, and, um, you know, back when videotapes uh, cost $100 a piece, I think. Oh, you know, and actually, I, I don't think that to be continued was on the television version of the film either, which is, I think, another place where I didn't see the to be It's continued. not on the DVD version uh, either, but um, the interesting thing is one of the, f- the first DVD released of Back to the Future was a box set in a blue box. Uh, I used to own it. I think all the... Maybe it's just the second film, but some of the films in that set are in the incorrect aspect ratio. Huh. So they're framed incorrectly. And somehow they got through QA, but they fixed that in more recent versions of the DVD say, any version released after 2005, I think. Hmm. And, uh... But, you know, I think Back to the Future is a classic. Um, I would, oh, absolutely, without a doubt. I'd recommend it, and um, Will and I are going to save our ratings out of five stars for the movie uh, when we get to the third one, when you rate them all at once. Oh, we're, we're rating the franchise as, as a whole. That's going to be a new format uh, feature on the show. Well, we did that uh, before. We rated the franchise as a whole, or Sabrina and I rated the franchise as a whole and the movies individually, but only after we've reviewed all three movies. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a different spin, but it's a, it's nice to have that metric in there of numbers, because it's a different way. It's a quick, dirty way to see what people think about something. I, I think I'll give the film... I, I, this will be a preview, but I suspect I'm going to give the film 1.21 gigawatts. I see. Okay, it's a lot of gigawatts. Um, and, you know, with um, this film, it's it's a classic. I, I really enjoy it. I, I think it holds up. Uh, some of it can come off as kind of cheesy, I think, uh, watching it now compared to when I was younger. But um, 
It has romance. It has uh, comedy. It has excitement. Suspense. Suspense as well, sure. And um, a dog. I think it's it's a movie you can show a kid and you can show an adult and then get two completely different things out of it. You know, it is it is it is a science fiction movie that the whole family can enjoy. And as you mentioned, now with it being uh, 2011, as time of this recording, it's nostalgic on two levels. It's nostalgic both in the present day sequences <laughs> in the 80s and nostalgic in the 50s uh, sequences. <laughs> So, um, well, hope you enjoyed uh, us here on the sequel cast. My dog has an electronic toothbrush in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new feature for the show as well. We guess what Starbucks has in her mouth. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, until next time uh, for the sequel cast, this is Matt. Uh, this is Thrasher. Uh, saying uh, next week we'll be uh, doing uh, Back to the Future Part 2. And uh, go to SequelCast.com or look up SequelCast on Facebook to uh, get in touch with us and check out old episodes. See you later. Where, where we're going, we don't need sequels. No. Okay. Oh, that was Bye. fun. That was fun. It was. That was good. Thank you. I, I have to go that. and take a puppy out before she pees on something. All right. My wife left for the bar with a friend of hers and left me with the dog because she came home and the dog made a big mess on everything. Oh. Because the dog had a little bit of tummy trouble. Before I hang up, uh, do you want to know the reason why the Cascadia FM stuff sort of blew up? Um, I, if, you, if you don't mind sharing, uh, sure. I'll certainly try that. I'll do the short version. So what happened is I would record it. <laughs> <laughs>